0: Morning, church. Morning. As you heard in Suley's prayer, um, today begins the annual conference of uh, West Ohio. So all of uh, the, your pastors and lay delegates will be traveling this afternoon to Lakeside on Lake Erie where we will worship and do the business of the conference and uh, ordained the, uh, the new deacons and elders into our conference. Uh, back in the old days... Um, The pastors would travel, and uh, at the end of annual conference, the bishop would read uh, the pastor's names and the new churches they were going to. So they'd go back home, and they would uh, tell their families, pack up, we're going to Bethel or Batavia or wherever, and uh, just about every couple years. That's one tradition that I'm glad that we no longer have in uh, the United Methodist Church. Uh, Please uh, be praying for us, if you would. Well, telling the truth can be hard. Amen? When your spouse asks you, do I look good in this outfit? What do you say? You tell them the truth, or do you tell a little white lie? Uh, My guess is that the majority of us uh, lie on a regular basis, mostly to avoid hurting someone's feelings. But I've discovered over the years that even sometimes those small little white lies get me into trouble. How about, have you ever had to give a bad employee a reference, ever had to do that? That can be pretty awkward. I read the other day of how you can use some creative ambiguity to help you get around that. Maybe you'll be able to use some of these. For the employee who is chronically absent, say, a person like this is hard to find. (laughs) For the lazy employee, you could say, you'd be fortunate indeed to get this person to work for you. (laughs) For the incompetent employee, I most enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> or finally, the, the, the employee who had problems getting along with other fellow workers. I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. So these statements, while not technically true, they're not exactly honest statements either. Uh, They're meant to give a a positive impression when they are exactly the opposite. Some of us may be old enough to remember when a handshake was all that was required. Uh, Some of us are old enough to remember uh, the days when whatever Walter Cronkite or David Brinkley or Peter Jennings or, or, or Chet Huntley would say, we believed, we believed them, but today we have fake news. No one seems to be telling the truth anymore. I wonder sometimes if we don't live in a post-truth culture. Well, we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is laying down some principles on how to live the Christian life. And he's been using this rhetorical device. Uh, You have heard it said, Uh, referring to the Ten Commandments or something in the Old Testament. And then he says, but I tell you, Jesus raises the bar, but I tell you, do this. Uh, This week we're looking at verses 33 through 37. If you have your Bible, uh, you can follow along. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply, yes or no. No. And everything else comes from the evil one. Jesus here is talking about oaths. And there's, now there's nothing uh, in the Ten Commandments about oaths. But there is the, the third commandment, which is you shall not misuse uh, the name of the Lord. And then there's the ninth commandment, I'm sure you all know, is what? Do not give false testimony. So what is an oath? An oath is simply a a solemn promise about your behavior or about your actions, and and they have been used throughout the centuries. Uh, Oftentimes they call upon a deity, a god, to be a witness uh, to what we say we're going to do and include a, a curse that the deity will take vengeance if the person swearing the oath fails to fulfill the promise. Now, this oftentimes caused uh, a a problem for the Jewish person because they would never use God's name in an oath for that would be misusing God's name. They believed God's name to be sacred and they would not use it uh, just in common language. But invoking God's name has always been a part of oath-taking. Even today, if you take the oath of, of office, you put your hand, what, on a Bible and you swear to support and defend the Constitution, and you finish by saying, so help me God. Uh, I've taken two vows in my lifetime. Uh, The first vow I took was uh, to my wife, and then with something like, in the name of God, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until we are parted by death. This is my Solemn vow. The second vow I took was when I was ordained. And it said something like Will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church, accepting its order, liturgy, doctrine, and discipline, defending against all doctrines contrary to God's holy word, and accepting the authority of those who are appointed to supervise your ministry? That last phrase was the hardest for me. And then you ended by saying, I will with the help of God. Now, as kids on the playground, you might have said something like, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And that was to show that you were really telling the truth this time. You're telling the truth. And a pretty grim punishment if you are not telling the truth. Sometimes oaths get us into trouble. Uh, The Old Testament, or the the Bible uh, uses three of those. The first is in Judges 11, a a guy you probably never heard of named Jephthah, and he makes a, a rash oath that he will sacrifice the Lord, the first thing that walks through his front door if he returns victorious in an upcoming battle. And when he is victorious and he returns home, the first thing that walks through the door of his house is his only daughter. Uh, Herod Antipas regretted making an oath to give his stepdaughter whatever she asked for after she danced at his party, and she ended up asking for the head of John the Baptist. And then there was Peter. Peter who swore an oath that he did not know Jesus while sitting in the courtyard of the high priest, and immediately was filled with shame and remorse. The Old Testament was very clear that if you made an oath to the Lord, that you needed to be sure to fulfill that oath. But by Jesus' time, the religious leaders had had taken the practice of oaths and vows and had corrupted it by coming up with this complicated system of rankings where some vows you needed to keep and other vows you could let go. Uh, They they became known as loopholes. And Jesus calls them out. In Matthew 23, you can hear Jesus' anger behind this. And this is what he says. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar... Is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. But of course, we kids, we had loopholes too. If you said, cross my heart and and hope to die, you could cross your fingers behind your back, right? And that made it all null and void. It overrode your other vows. You had immunity from punishment, unless the other kids, of course, called you out on it in the playground. In a similar way, you see, the religious leaders said, if you swear by the temple, your vow means nothing. If you swear by the gold in the temple, now that's something you have to keep your promise You swear by the altar, no big deal. If you swear by the gift on the altar, then you are bound to keep your promise. You see, the religious leaders had it all wrong. They felt the more that you zeroed in from the temple to the gold in the temple, from the altar to the gift on the altar, that somehow was more serious. But Jesus makes it very clear that the temple and the altar were all holy and represented God and His presence Their their priorities, you see, were all messed up and confused. But the deeper issue was they came up with this system of crossed fingers behind their backs. And so swearing by the temple gave them a couple benefits. That They gave the impression of being men of their word when they weren't. They gave the impression of telling the truth with no obligation to tell the truth. You see, their agendas and their hypocrisies were baked right into the religion. And they thought it was okay. But it wasn't. In this passage today, Jesus is teaching us to avoid this sinful duplicity. He's calling us to be true in our hearts. He's saying, don't color, don't shade, don't veneer the truth. Don't swear by this or, or that so that people will trust your word. He says your word should be, no, should be enough that when you say yes, that should be binding. That when you say no, somebody should be able to take it to the bank because your word is good. Now a lot of you know that I like to tell stories that aren't always exactly true. Last month in our council meeting, one of the members was asking how I dealt with my daughter's boyfriends when they came to the house. You see, she's got a 12-year-old daughter, and the boys are starting to show up, and she was saying, Pastor, how do I deal with this? And I said, well, here's how I used to deal with it. I used to make sure that my 12-gauge shotgun was on the kitchen table, and that seemed to weed out the bad boys. But this member of our church council, one of the leaders of our church, didn't believe me. Now, this is understandable given how many fake stories I've told. But I, I felt like my honor, my integrity was on the line. And so right then and there, I, I called up my daughter. I said, Megan, I want you to know that you're on speakerphone. And I have assembled here the leaders of my church, our church council. I said, Would you please verify my story that I used to keep a shotgun on the kitchen table whenever boyfriends would come to call? There was a long silence. (laughs) And my daughter, who cannot tell a lie, said, Well, Dad, not exactly. Now, that's the way you've told that story many times over the years. But the truth is, you only did that once. And that was to Josh. And Josh was one of the boyfriends that you actually liked. But Dad, I think you should keep on telling that story exactly as you always have. I don't think you should change it because I know how happy it makes you. You ever told a lie so many times, you start to believe it yourself? (laughs) Psalm 15 suggests a, a different way to live life. I'm going to read the entire psalm because I think it's powerful. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, and who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things Will never be shaken. Listen again to verse 4 who keeps an oath even when it hurts. You see, I think the reason that we lie to uh, to others and lie to ourselves is simply to keep ourselves from being hurt, to protect ourselves. But Jesus calls us to a, a different kind of life where even if it costs us something, People know that our word will be good. That when we say yes, it is as binding as a vow. But I think it is more than just avoiding duplicity. I believe that Jesus is calling us to to live a a life of honesty in all of our relationships. Have you ever had like a really, really bad day and and somebody asks you how you're doing and you say, I'm fine, great, couldn't be better. you ever done that? Ever lied that way? I I do it. And usually I do it because it's the polite thing to do and I don't want to suddenly unburden myself on some poor unsuspecting person. And if I'm going to be truthful, sometimes I think to myself, you know, if they really knew what kind of day I was going through, if they really knew me, they they would probably think less of me. And maybe you've had similar thoughts. Maybe there have been days when you thought, you know, my life is a mess. I hate my job. My my kids are driving me crazy, and I just had a big uh, argument with my spouse. But I can't tell anyone. I need to hide who I am because they wouldn't like me if they really knew me. Do you worry sometimes that that you can't be real because people wouldn't like you if they knew the real you? But wouldn't it be great to belong to a church or speaking the truth and being real and being honest and being authentic is valued? see, I I need to belong to a a group of people where I can be myself, warts and all. That when I mess up and and fail, there's gonna be somebody who is lovingly gonna hold me accountable. And that when I'm having a bad day and I need a good cry, there'll be someone there to listen. See, I think if we had a church like that, where we could be authentic and real with each other, I think people would run to become a part of it. Because I think the deeper that, that we share our pain, the more we share our weaknesses and our joys and our, and our dreams and our, and our hurts, the closer that we come to each other. And I think most of us want that more than anything else. We want to be able to share ourselves. We, we want to be known, but, but we also fear. We have this fear that, that the pain and being known, afraid to reveal too much of ourselves, might, might be used against us, that somebody might not like that. We fear we may be hurt, and so we avoid uh, whole areas of our lives. We keep them to ourselves. And and by avoiding pain, though, we also avoid the intimacy and and, and the deeper and more relationships that are there for us. I think in family life and in church life that there needs to be a willingness to risk, to trust, To trust ourselves to one another and to be real and genuine and authentic. Because when there is that deep opening of the heart between friends, we are given this awesome and amazing opportunity to walk into the very inner sanctum of that person's heart. And that's oftentimes where God's presence can be found. How do we do that? I think we just stop what we're doing, look that person right in the eye, and give them our full attention. Now, that's hard to do. I don't know about you, but when I get home, I'm tired. A day of making decisions, taking care of problems at work. You know, sometimes I just want to forget about things. <laughs> or sometimes I get so wrapped up in my own self-interest that I have little time for others. But I find that when I do, that it makes a big difference to them. A a little boy was repeatedly trying to to get his dad's attention, to to show him a a cut that he had gotten on his finger. And and the father didn't want to be bothered. And finally the father said, well, okay, what do you want me to do? And the little boy said, you could say, oh, (laughs) that's it. Not a big deal. But we need to find time to listen. It's been a tough week for Glenda Cruz. Glenda a real estate agent. She sold only one house in November. She was getting desperate. She knew if she didn't sell another house, it was not going to be a very nice Christmas at the Cruz house. The past week, she has shown a uh, a house uh, to Herb and, and, and Mabel Daly who were moving into town. Herb works with uh, the telephone company and, and Mabel was hoping to get work with the schools. And Glenda began showing them around the, the ranch style home and, and she knew that the previous owners had, had kind of let things run down pretty bad. But she was bound and determined that she was going to sell this house. And, and so when the dailies began to inquire about certain things, she, she kind of talked around them. You know, she, she actuated the, the positive. And in fact, she stretched the truth. She stretched it pretty far. And it worked. The dailies signed an offer on the house. But now it was Sunday, and she was sitting in her pew at church, and she thought, what had come over me? Why did I do this? How, how could I do such a thing? It just wasn't right. And she began to reflect on her life, and she wasn't so happy about what she saw. How had she strayed so far from her Christian upbringing? And so she sat there in a, in a mild state of depression. She decided that she needed a new start. And so she bowed her head and she confessed to God what she had done. And she decided that Monday morning she was going to call the dailies and tell them, tell them the truth. And as she did this, a sense of peace began to fill her. She decided she was ready for God to come in in His mercy and His grace and, and to help her start anew. And when she heard her pastor read the, the words in the hymnal, the invitation to communion, Christ our Lord invites at His table all who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. All those were good words to hear. And as she took communion, she heard the words, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And she thought, given for me. Jesus died on the cross for me. What would happen if we learned to tell the truth? (laughs) What if our kingdom relationships were governed by authenticity, by transparency, by by honesty and integrity? How might that change our relationships? How might that change our, our families? How might that change our church? Today, as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion, our Lord gives us a chance to start anew to begin a a, a new season of truth-telling and honesty. Let's don't let that moment go by. Amen.